You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. U.S. national cybersecurity strategy was informed by lessons from Russia's war. Two threat actors from China up their game. CISA releases five ICS advisories. Samir Jalil, Kent State University Associate CIO, on closing functionality gaps and creating a safer digital environment for students. Johannes Ulrich from SANS on establishing an end-of-support inventory. And the EPA issues a memo on water system cybersecurity. Cyberwire Studios at Data Tribe. I'm Trey Hester filling in for Dave Bittner with your Cyberwire summary for Friday, March 3rd, 2023. Following the public release of the U.S. National Cybersecurity Strategy yesterday morning, the Center for Strategic and International Studies held a launch event that saw two major federal players in cyberspace come together for a discussion. The acting National Cyber Director, Kemba Walden, and the Deputy Assistant to the President and Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technology, Ann Neuberger. Walden expressed the intent of the strategy, saying, quote, We have to lean into making what we have defensible. End quote. She noted that the Solar Winds incident brought increased federal attention to cybersecurity and helped it achieve the kind of recognition that earned remediation in the American Rescue Plan. She noted the importance of modernization, and also pointed out that modernization is a complex process. Quote, IT modernization is a dynamic process. It has to keep going. It has to be baked into how we think about security. End quote. Ann Neuberger emphasized cooperation for security. She said, quote, A secure cyberspace is something that we must do arm in arm. End quote. Discussing last November's White House counter-ransomware initiative, she noted that this global summit saw many nations convene to work together against ransomware. Feedback from the participants showed the importance of international dialogue. And of course, cooperation goes on at the national as well as the international level. Both Newberger and Walden emphasized the importance of U.S. interagency collaboration. The U.S. national cybersecurity strategy was shaped in part by lessons learned from observing Russia's hybrid war against Ukraine. The emphasis on resilience, close partnerships with industry, and forward engagement with a threat were among the features of the strategy influenced by the conduct of that war. 
the national cybersecurity strategy was not shy about identifying the threat in cyberspace, and the familiar four intentional bad actors were specifically identified, Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea. As the strategy put it, quote, the governments of China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, and other autocratic states with revisionist intent are aggressively using advanced cyber capabilities to pursue objectives that run counter to our interests and broadly accepted international norms, end quote. One of the four adversary nations, China, is again in the news for cyber espionage. Emissary Panda and Mustang Panda, two Chinese threat groups with connections to Beijing's intelligence services, have improved their tools and are actively engaging targets. Trend Micro reports that Iron Tiger, their name for Emissary Panda, APT27, has updated its sysupdate malware family, extending its reach to Linux systems. The APT has also adopted a novel method of command and control. Quote, Iron Tiger has also added a feature that has not been seen before in this malware family, CNC communication through DNS text requests. While DNS is not supposed to be a communication protocol, the attacker abuses this protocol to send and receive information. End quote. The group continues to concentrate on Southeast Asia, but has also prospected targets in Europe and the Americas. Tech Monitor notes that the interests of Iron Tiger lie for the most part with governments, defense companies, and infrastructure. ESET is following developments in Mustang Panda's activities, especially its deployment of a novel and specially designed bare-bones backdoor. Mustang Panda's operations have increased over the course of Russia's war against Ukraine, collecting intelligence in the interest of Beijing. ESET states that the victimology is unclear. After noting signs of unusual interest in Bulgaria and Australia, but most of the group's interests appear to center in Europe. Quote, the decoy file names are in line with the group's other campaigns that target European political entities. End quote. Crypto hardware wallet provider Trezor has warned of a major phishing campaign that targets its customers via phone calls, text messages, and emails. The messages inform recipients that Trezor has recently suffered a security breach and instructs them to follow a link to secure their accounts. The link leads to a spoofed Trezor wallet seed recovery page. Trezor says there's no evidence that there's been a real breach and the company says it will never contact customers via phone calls or text messages. It's not clear how the attackers obtained Trezor's customer contact information, but Bleeping Computer points out that a similar phishing campaign targeted the company's customers after attackers stole marketing lists from MailChimp in March of 2022. CISA and the FBI yesterday issued a joint advisory on Royal Ransomware. Royal is noteworthy for its ability to disable various antivirus tools in the course of exfiltrating data in its double extortion attacks. Royal's operators have also been marked by their disposition to target, quote, numerous critical infrastructure sectors, including, but not limited to, manufacturing, communications, healthcare and public healthcare, and education, end quote. The gang has been known to demand ransom payments between $1 million and $10 million. The advisory includes a comprehensive overview of Royal's tactics, techniques, and procedures, of its indicators of compromise, and of mitigations that organizations can deploy to help them weather an attack with Royal Ransomware. CISA yesterday released five industrial control system advisories. The affected products are by Mitsubishi Electric, Bicells, Riddle, and Medtronic. Users of the systems should consult with advisories and apply the updates and mitigations in accordance with vendor instructions. And finally, we close with another regulatory development. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency has issued a memorandum to the appropriate state authorities outlining measures designed to improve the cybersecurity of water and wastewater systems. 
The agency's statement on the memo says that it, quote, conveys EPA's interpretation that states must include cybersecurity when they conduct periodic audits of water systems, called sanitary surveys, and highlight different approaches for states to fulfill this responsibility, end quote. And of course, the state governments are not on their own. The EPA is providing technical assistance and resources to assist states and water systems as they work towards implementation of a robust cybersecurity program. We'll have more as the story develops over the coming week. Coming up after the break, Dave Bittner sits down with Samir Jalil to discuss closing functionality gaps and creating a safer digital environment for students. Dave also sits down with Johannes Ulrich from SANS to discuss end support inventory. Stick around. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Samir Jalil is associate CIO at Kent State University, a position he's held for about a year now. He started out as a student at Kent State and later worked there as an application developer. Since taking the CIO role, a big part of Samir Jalil's focus has been on closing functionality gaps and creating a safer digital environment for students. That is easier said than done. Like many organizations, they were faced with a collection of legacy systems and applications still in regular use throughout the university. The plan was to start to rewrite some of the critical applications, mission-critical ones specifically, which requires us to do a a profiling exercise of everything we have in the portfolio Hmm. uh, to understand, you know, what do we rewrite? What do we combine? Because needs show up over period of, periods of time, over years, and then there are 
piecemealed application solutions developed, do they, do they need to remain separate? No, they can be combined. So these kind of analysis happened over time while we were creating new value in the platform as well. So we actually caused a little bit of a problem even with the platform in the beginning, leading us to realize, especially leading me to realize, that the tool is only one part of the equation. Having a strategy, having a plan is equally, if not more important. To now, where we have a, a healthy solution architecture practice that determines where the solution should happen, we have the possibility of custom solutions, but we also have invested in key enterprise technologies. Why are we not uh, seeing the solution happen there when 80% of the function is happening there before we determine we're going to write a custom solution for that. I mean, it's really fascinating as you take us through the process. I'm, I'm Because simultaneous to all of this, I mean, you've still got to be providing the things that your students, your professors, your staff people need there. You're, you're kind of you know, changing the oil while the engine is still running. Exactly. That's a great uh, analogy. Um, and this really came to 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 light uh during the pandemic right so um how how do you do maintenance type of work which is what i would call the the rewrite type of work if i take a step back it it all starts with an engagement with the business stakeholder asking them did you know you have uh, 15 applications that cater to various needs for your business unit they usually don't and, and so we, we give them a high-level overview, and then we ask them for their future plans. Um, and we will weigh in and tell them, here is an opportunity to, to combine these systems into one system. And some, sometimes they say, you know what, just, just leave it alone. It's working for us. Don't change it. We don't <laughs> need any new functionality. Only time we will intervene and say, okay, but we're still going to rewrite it in a new technology because... That is an outdated technology, and we don't want that to be the one vulnerability in our portfolio that gets exploited. So we are we very seldom leave things alone uh, if it is in an outdated framework, because that's the times we live in today. So I imagine, I mean, part of this, as you're describing it, is not just technical, but it's diplomacy as well. For sure. Um, and I think that's kind of the direction forward. I think the times when, you know, there's an IT department and anything related to technology, they will determine is, is outdated, if not, you know, behind us. Everything has a technology lean to it. And so we are trying to get that point across as the central IT unit at the at the institution that we want to have regular conversations with the various business units uh, to understand what what they see coming because they are making technology decisions uh, all the time and and it's not being deferred to us anymore. Yeah. And really turning your organization within the university itself as an enabler rather than that stereotypical department of no. Yes. uh, This was a big uh, driver for us uh, producing that RFP because uh, we had a backlog for two years and an average lightweight project would take us several months to produce because we would start from zero every time. Hmm. With the low-code platform, the lowest time I can produce an application is one day. And that application still has institutional authentication, uh, prefabricated all these uh, modules, uh, and there's a lot of reuse, which is part of the vision uh, in, in that RFP. We're able to accelerate our development. So uh, yesterday and Past years, we would call it a backlog. Today, we call it a roadmap 
because we're looking forward, right? If, if I'm being very literal, they're, they're not very different, <laughs> backlog mm-hmm. and, and the roadmap. But um, we are able to to do these things quickly. And, and this, again, came to light in the pandemic because we didn't know what we would need. Um, taking um, things that happened on-premise in person and trying to create a remote experience on the fly, we really tested our abilities to create things without a heads up, uh, with, with limited uh, limited oversight even in some cases you know whatever you can produce is good for us was what we would get and and we were able to produce some 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 really neat innovative technologies uh, that we fortunately don't have to use anymore so even that doesn't bother us because it comes together quickly and then we can kind of jettison it after the utility is over for you as a leader how much of this is you know, nurturing that sense within your team that sometimes it's okay to go down that road, even if it doesn't lead anywhere, it's okay to experiment. Yeah, it's it's a big mindset shift. Um, I mean, the first mindset shift, again, taking a step back, was um, when you when you look at low code. Um, if if you're really in love with writing code, uh, it's a deterrent, right? Low code immediately implies you're not coding as much, and we had to confront that 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 we're a higher ed institution. We're not here to feel good about optimizing fifty lines of code into ten. That's not what the rest of the institution sees as value. So we have to be solution providers and quickly. And can you take pride in that, that you go sit across from a group of faculty members or students or or deans, listen to what they're struggling with, and then come back with a potential solution that will will improve that, uh, that problem for them? That's who we need. And, and getting our developers to see themselves as that person, that personality, was the, the hill we had to climb for a period of time. But we're there now and we're thriving. That's Samir Jalil from Kent State University. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Johannes Ulrich. He is the Dean of Research at the Sands Technology Institute and also the host of the ISC Stormcast podcast. Johannes, it's always great to welcome you back. Hey, thanks for having me, Dave. So uh, I saw recently that um, both Windows 7 and Windows 8.1 had reached the end of their support. Uh, And uh, you make the point that uh, this is something that folks really need to keep an eye on when it comes to their overall inventory yes uh, yeah definitely and you know, it's one of those things that may be relatively straightforward with things like windows it's well publicized uh, but there are lots of devices lots of software that you have and uh, you know recently for example there were yet another set of uh, vulnerabilities in these cisco rv routers and uh, it's of a small business line that cisco has or had at some point and you know, myself and others are sometimes complaining, hey, you know, uh, Cisco, aren't you going to publish any updates for that? And hmm. then you read closer and yeah, last time they actually sold these, I think it was in 2016 or 2018. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, uh, you know, it's it's not unreasonable that Cisco kind of just stopped supporting them at some point. And I think what we often forget is that uh, devices like this, they have an expiration date. And while it's not kind of you know, printed on the device when you buy it, there is an implied expiration date and you have to be ready for that. Uh, so you have to keep you know, a calendar entry or whatever it takes, a spreadsheet, uh, some kind of fancy 
costly inventory management software, if you can afford it, uh, <laughs> that will alert you kind of, you know, let's say a year ahead or half a year ahead, depending on the device. Hey, you know, we probably should replace that device because the vendor is no longer offering any updates for it. And, you know, realistically speaking, if you have a 10-year-old router in uh, some dusty corner underneath your desk, what are the chances that it will just uh, go up in smoke kind of one of these days? So may as well get ahead of that and and replace those devices. And while it's not necessarily cheap, it's something that you, you know, it's just the cost of doing business, something that you have to account for when you're getting the device in the first place. Yeah, it strikes me that, you know, there's that old saying, you know, if it if it if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But that doesn't necessarily apply to things that are software driven because as you and I have spoken about many times, um, over time, vulnerabilities can be exposed. And so a piece of uh, a device that may have been secure or perceived as being secure over time, it may no longer be. Yeah, right. It's not like an old wine. It doesn't get better with time, kind of. <laughs> right. uh, and, love, love, um, it, love it. <laughs> so uh, you just have to throw out. The, the problem sometimes is, like I said, no, Windows, Cisco, those companies are fairly straightforward about their policies here. Uh, in particular, with companies targeting more home users or small business users, it may not be as easy to figure out what that expiration date is. Uh, that may be something that uh, vendors could improve. It would be nice to have that printed on the box when you get it, uh, mm. but at least have some web page or so where they say, okay, you know, if you buy a device today, we guarantee for the next five year would be sort of a reasonable time, you'll get updates. Uh, but uh, beyond that, uh, who knows kind of what will happen. Maybe we'll decide to extend a little bit. That happens sometimes, but at least you sort of have a guaranteed, you know, goodbye date. And uh, after that, you know, you're basically taking some risks. You probably want to schedule, well, five years from now, you probably need to get a new device. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think of the things that just kind of, as you were saying, hang out and, and you just sort of forget. They blend into the background. Things like printers and security cameras, you know, they can be doing their thing for a decade or more, and, and nobody thinks twice about it. Yeah, and I have to admit, I have like an old security camera in the closet. I really like it. It's a very fancy one. It's 15 years old now. Doesn't do modern TLS at all and such. And uh, <laughs> But hey, you know, it still works. It's still a fun toy to play with. Kind of. Right, right. Every uh, now and then you, you, you wave to the, the foreign point. actors who are monitoring it, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> As you walk by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Johannes Ulrich, thanks so much for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefings at thecyberwire.com. 
The Cyberwire Podcast is a production of N2K Networks, proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technology. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Ivan. Our mixer is me, with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by John Petrick. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Trey Hester, filling in for Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.